all those things that just seem like such petty, minor, nothing things, to God, to a holy, pure God, they stand out as enormous crimes. And so when you come into Christianity, there has to be a repentance of what you have been, who you have been. The Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me repeat that. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Could it be that multitudes of professing Christians are trapped in sexual sin because they have rejected the message of the cross and thus have been denied its power? As we continue to discuss the message of the cross, we look today at why it is so important to realize the depth of our sinful condition before a holy God. Without it, we're devoid of strength to turn from our sins and continue to be a stranger to the power of God. Thanks for being with us. This is Purity for Life. In last week's episode, Pastor Steve showed the massive difference between the response of Judas and the other 11 disciples to Jesus' command to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. They all appeared to accept the message, but in Judas's heart, he was rebellious against the Lord. And today we see the same thing playing out on a massive scale. There are those who accept Jesus' words and do walk in true communion with him. But there are also multitudes who are quietly rejecting the demands of Scripture. Sometimes this is obvious in outward behaviors, but often it goes unnoticed because it's happening in the person's heart. And because of this, it can be difficult for others to tell who is truly embracing the message of the cross. So, what is the significant difference between someone who rejects or accepts Christ's message? That's what our first interview today focuses on. Steve Gallagher is back in the studio with us. Steve is the founder and president of Pure Life Ministries. Steve, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. I'm glad to be here with you, Mike. Steve, we want to continue a discussion we began last week stemming from your book, Surviving the Great Apostasy, on this subject, the message of the cross. Now, last week we talked a little bit about what happened on Calvary, the horror of that event, what the Father went through, what Jesus went through on Calvary, and we also talked about the relationship between Jesus and his disciples, specifically the difference of heart response between the 11 disciples and that of Judas. Today we want to dig a little bit deeper into just exactly exactly what the message of the cross is, and you have a perspective on that stemming really from what Jesus actually said in the Gospels. Yeah, well, what happened, Mike, was that Jesus started warning the disciples that he was going to be arrested and crucified. You see it in Luke 9, and you see it in Matthew 16 and elsewhere. It's actually in all four Gospels. It's the only teaching that's in all four Gospels. This is what he said. And these words are extremely important to the Christian. 
if anyone wishes to come after me, okay, that sums up everyone who calls himself Christian. There's three things. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, Steve, let's take a look at those three things in the verse. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let's start with denying himself. Now, what does that really mean to deny yourself? Well, we have to understand, first of all, Mike, that in the sight of a holy God, we are criminals. So to come into Christianity requires repentance. That is a message that is rarely heard anymore. It's more like accept Jesus to be your Savior or trust Jesus, you know, these nice little terms. But well, that, that just is, means I stop drinking and cussing, right? And then I'm okay. You mean repentance? Yeah, isn't that all that means? No, repentance means something far different. It means a complete 180. You know, it really does. It means going through life, doing your own thing, never mind the outward sins, just doing your own thing as a rebel. And then doing a 180 means that you stop that, you repent of that, you turn back towards God, and he becomes the boss in your life. But you have a mountain of crimes that you are culpable for. That's the problem, Steve, is that so many in the church, and we can include ourselves at some point in our life, look at ourselves and we can always see people worse off, so we actually think we're pretty good. Well, that's the reality is that we don't see the depravity of our nature. We don't see how bad we have been. We don't see our little acts of selfishness, our pride, our resentments, our envies, our petty little things that we've done and our gossiping and backbiting and anger and hatred it's in our heart towards certain people and the self-righteousness, all those things that just seem like such petty, minor, nothing things. To God, to a holy, pure God, they stand out as enormous crimes. Mm -hmm. And so when you come into Christianity, there has to be a repentance of what you have been who you have been as a person. The way it is, most people just kind of come into the church and they think they're doing God some great favor to get up and go to church on Sunday and not to party on the weekends. Mm. You use two scenarios in your book, Steve, that I felt like really helped to bring out how we just don't see ourselves right. Scenario one is a guy named James, and he comes and stands before God, and the devil is his accuser. The devil is the prosecutor, and the devil tells God all the bad things that James has done, and Jesus steps in and says, now wait a minute, I'm going to take his sin upon myself, and he can be made free. And after all, Lord, he's a pretty good guy. He's not that bad, you know, so I'm going to take it upon myself. So Jesus acts as not only the defense attorney to defend this man who's being wrongfully attacked by the devil, but he also offers to take the sentence upon himself. And the father, who is the judge in this picture, says, okay, case dismissed, free to go. Well, you know, when I first read that, I thought, well, yeah, isn't that kind of how it is? Yeah, and you know where we get that at is Revelation 12.10, where Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. But Mike, he is never called the accuser of sinners. What Satan does, he doesn't accuse sinners. He leads them down the path of self-justification, rationalizing their sin, and blame-shifting. But there's something missing in that story, and I don't think people, as I did when I read it, they're not going to pick up on it until you show the second scenario. The second scenario brings it out, and that's William. Same picture. He's standing in the criminal docket of the high court, charged with treason against God's kingdom. 
just as James was. But now it's not the devil who's his accuser, but the Holy Spirit and Scripture and his own conscience. And a long line of witnesses stepped forward to testify about the many things that they had seen in his life. But William's reaction is the difference. William steps forward. This is what he says to the judge. Your Honor, not the half of my crimes against you have been told. I am guilty as charged, and I deserve the full penalty of the law. All I can do is promise you that I will change my life and ask for mercy. You see, his attitude is one of repentance. James's attitude was one of wanting to get something from God without it costing him anything. You know, as you share that, I look back on my own early experience having heard the gospel, and it says you've talked about here in the book, is I had kind of a general sense that, yeah, we're all sinners, and I didn't want to go to hell, so what did I want from God? I wanted to get out of hell free card, for lack of a better way to say it. Yeah. And so I went into my quote-unquote Christian life with no other gratitude than for the fact that I had this free get-out-of-hell card. It took years before I really got a sight of how guilty I was before God. Yeah, but you did get the sight, and I saw you do it. But, you know, Charles Spurgeon really brought this out well. He said the attitude a lot of people have is like the thief who stands before the judge. He's not looking to quit his thieving ways. He's not looking to have a change of heart. He's looking for mercy just so he doesn't have to pay the consequences and go to prison. Mm, So he's begging for mercy, not because he has any intention of becoming a different man, a good citizen or anything like that. He just doesn't want to pay the consequences. And that's what a lot of people who come into Christianity, that's the exact same attitude they have. They're not looking to change. They're not looking to let God rule and reign over their hearts. They just want an escape hell-free card, like you said. Now, relate this back to what we're talking about here, which is what does it mean to deny self? You know, Mike, it really boils down to your perspective of yourself. The truth is that 99.9% of human beings think of themselves as good people. There was a, um, a study done in a prison for the criminally insane, and they did a survey And one of the questions they ask in the survey is, do you consider yourself a good person? Do you know what the percentage was of those several hundred inmates that said yes to that? These are now these criminally insane, done the most horrible things you can imagine. What do you think the percentage was? Well, I would just guess it's pretty high. It was 100 percent. Yeah. Every single one of them. These are the worst of the worst. Everyone thinks they're a good person who deserves heaven. That fundamental attitude toward yourself has to be overthrown. You have to see yourself as a guilty sinner, a criminal in the sight of a holy God, because until you see that and get that, you won't really experience true repentance. And Jesus Christ cannot take his place on the throne of your heart because you're in on the throne of your heart. You're in control of your life. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to make this point. That can be true, even though you, quote-unquote, believe in Jesus. James said, the devils believe and tremble. You know, this is the tricky thing, the subtle thing about faith. When you believe in someone, you believe in them. 
I believe in you, Lord. I believe in you. And that means so much more than the superficial head knowledge thing that, you know, you kind of acknowledge that, yeah, there was a Jesus Christ who lived. I believe what the Bible says is true and all that. Well, if you really believe what the Bible is true, does it show in your life? Because the person who transfers their trust from self to their trust in Christ, there is a revolution in that person's life, and the evidence comes forth very loud and clear before long. Mm. But as you said, that demands repentance. And in order to have true repentance, you have to be willing to acknowledge what Jesus has said is true about me, about myself. Why is it so hard for unconverted churchgoers to face the truth about themselves? Because they don't want to acknowledge that there's something wrong with them. You know, it is just inherent in human beings. All of us are this way. We hate to say we're wrong. We feel like our character is being impugned, you know, to say that, we're not good people. You know, everyone wants to think of themselves as a good person deserving heaven. The reality, Mike, is if a person thinks that they're good and they deserve heaven, then they don't need a savior, and therefore they won't have one. Well, Steve, we'll have to leave it there. We'll come back next week and continue this discussion in the message of the cross. Thanks so much. Okay, Mike. Good to be here. Next week, we'll finish this discussion between Mike and Pastor Steve as they continue to discuss what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Right now, I want to shift gears a little bit and play an interview with Pure Life's co-founder, Kathy Gallagher, on the topic of forgiveness. Now, this might seem off-topic, but it really relates, because one of the main reasons Jesus went to the cross was so that we could be forgiven— And anyone who wants to follow in his footsteps will have to do the same thing. We will have to forgive. Kathy, we want to deal today with a letter that came in from Deborah. She is communicating what many times you hear from wives who are going through difficult situations, but this one particularly, she really expressed a very deep anger and very deep bitterness. How did you begin to respond to Deborah? Well, Deborah's very common, Mike. Unfortunately, the majority of women that we deal with at Pure Life come in very, very angry when a woman has been betrayed by her husband. It just, it's very hard to describe the level of pain and betrayal that a wife feels. And yet, even though those are legitimate emotions that a woman has to pass through, our job at Pure Life Ministries is to help her come out of that, that angry spirit. It's wrong. It's sinful. Deborah was expressing, and you said it well, she expressed deep anger and bitterness in this letter. And she's typical of women who get in that mode of anger and something happens in their heart. If they don't deal with that anger for themselves, that bitterness right away, it begins to fester inside. And it's so subtle. If you don't really go to God really repent, make a concerted effort to really deal with those attitudes, what begins to happen is a hardening takes place and trust becomes impossible. You shut down inside emotionally and you don't know how to even function anymore. I have dealt with so many women that are so bitter and they don't know they are. It's amazing to me, but there are hard, hard women that nothing affects them anymore. The Word of God doesn't affect them. Preaching of the Word of God doesn't affect them. They're so encased in bitterness. You mentioned, Kathy, that 
you have to deal with it. Is it very often the case that women think, well, I'll just wait and this will subside? I don't think anybody realizes when they get hit with this that, I oh, I've got to deal with this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to deal with my anger and my bitterness because it's going to turn into a monster. Nobody thinks like that. But what I want to say to women that are listening today is that bitterness and anger are something that you will probably always have to deal with to, to one degree or another, not necessarily with your husband, but in relationships. You have to cultivate inside an instant response to being offended that says, I forgive you. That has to be right on the tip of your tongue, and especially for a woman who's been hurt by her husband like this, because it is so easy to not do that, something that was said to me by a godly, godly woman many years ago, and she wrapped her arms around me and gave me a wonderful hug and said, the most godlike characteristic there is is forgiveness. And it went into my soul when she said that, and it was like, yeah, that's right, that is so true. And it's so much better to be In that spirit, even when a husband is in ongoing, unrepentant sin, you don't have to stay in bitterness. You really don't. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to live there. That doesn't have to be your habitation. A habitation that becomes a prison. It is. It's a miserable prison, and it's locked from the inside. Hmm. You are not captive because your husband continues to sin. Forgiveness is a choice. Kathy, I can imagine that a woman who is locked in that prison of unforgiveness, bitterness, self, really. As she's hearing you say those words, she's saying, well, yeah, that sounds great, but you don't understand what he's done to me. But you shared in this letter that there is someone who understands what it's like to be mistreated like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw this in Jesus, didn't we? Absolutely. What's being asked of her. Absolutely. He's our model, and that's why we can do it, because we saw Jesus carry a heavy cross to Golgotha, He bore that cross on his body, his beaten, mangled body. He was unrecognizable, and he went there for us. He bore in his body the things that we deserved. He carried the wrath of God in himself for us, and he hung there, and his life's blood poured out on the ground, and people all around him were mocking him and spitting at him and laughing at him and ridicule him. And every demon in hell was right there to cheer them on. And he was hung between two thieves. And he was accounted as a criminal, hanging there naked for us. Yes. And yet his words. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is the reason why we can forgive the worst sins that have ever been committed against us. If you're a Christian and you can't forgive, there's something wrong with your Christianity. That doesn't mean you excuse it or you act like it's not there. You don't, I'm not talking about putting your head in the sand and acting like there's nothing there, but I'm talking about for you, for yourself, your life with God, between you and God, you have the power to let that sin go, to let that man go free. Amen. Well, Kathy, I hope that'll be an encouragement to women who know that they're in this prison of bitterness and anger. There is hope and there is freedom. Amen. And it's in forgiveness. Kathy Gallagher, thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. Mike and Kathy did one more interview on the subject of forgiveness, and I want to play that for you because I think it will help solidify two important things. First, Kathy will help us to clearly see what forgiveness is and what it is not. And secondly, she shows us that when we follow the path of self-denial, like Pastor Steve talked about in the first segment, 
We'll see our own guilt before a holy God, and then we'll have the power to forgive. Kathy Gallagher has joined me in the studio. Kathy, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. We're going to kind of wing it today. We're going to talk about something that's been on our hearts lately, and that is the subject of forgiveness. I looked up forgiveness just in the Amplified Version right Mm. before we came in. And of course, we're all familiar with the passage that says, forgive and you will be forgiven. I liked the way the Amplified Version said it. It says, acquit and forgive and release. Give up resentment. Let it drop, and you will be acquitted and forgiven and Mm -hmm. released. Talk a little bit about what the Lord has shown you about forgiveness. Well, forgiveness is a position of the heart, really. That's, I think that's probably what I've learned through a lot of years of counseling women that have really struggled with forgiveness. The position of our heart regarding people that have sinned against us should always be a quick willingness to let the person go free inside. In our heart, we should be willing to release them from the debt. If we can't open our heart and let others go free, then we're the ones who are in prison. Not only that, but it does affect the relationship. I mean, you can't have a relationship with someone that you are embittered against. And for years, I've watched women who won't forgive become bitter. I don't know which comes first, but it becomes one big ugly mass of just a rigid hard-heartedness that can't live life. And it's a very painful baggage to carry around in life for a lot of women. Now you say women who won't forgive, and I think sometimes this is the stumbling block. Now there are of course some very hard-hearted individuals, people Mm -hmm. that just refuse to forgive. But I think sometimes people struggle with, what does it mean to forgive? What if the feelings don't go away? What if I don't feel like I want to forgive or don't feel like I have forgiven? What do we really mean by forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is, as we teach around here all the time, feelings follow behavior. If you don't feel like you have forgiven someone, that's not necessarily a sign that you haven't. What forgiveness is, is you're letting someone go free. In other words, you're not bringing it up. You're not throwing it in their face. You're not reminding them of the crimes that they've committed against you all the time. Mm -hmm. You're not replaying them in your mind. You're not stewing over them. That's how you know you're coming into some freedom when you're not regurgitating it constantly in your mind. But if you are and saying that you have forgiven, you really haven't let the thing go. Now, women that we deal with here have the ongoing battle in such cases where the husband hasn't really fully repented the wound keeps getting reopened and Mm. they think they've forgiven and then he falls again. Okay, now I'm back at square one. Do I have to Mm. forgive all over again? I don't really think it's that kind of a mechanical, boxy little thing that we do. Mm. I think forgiveness really is a position of the heart. It's the motion of your heart. Where is it? Uh, Yeah, you get hurt, you get offended, you get brokenhearted over being hurt again, but those feelings don't mean you haven't forgiven. I know that when Steve did horrific things, But when I forgave him, it was a clean forgiveness. It really was. And I can say that honestly, that I wanted to forgive him. Yeah, I still had a lot of fear. I didn't trust him. I didn't know what he was going to do next. But those things don't mean you haven't forgiven. And I think that's where a lot of women get confused because they do still struggle with fears and stuff like that. They think, I must not have forgiven him. All I want to communicate clearly to women is it is the motion of your heart. What is coming out of you? Do you want to hold it against him? And as we talked about before we came in here, then, of course, you have men who are just so oblivious to the need to forgive Mm -hmm. or for the need of others to be forgiven that we just kind of... You know, let's just 
get over it, move on, go play golf. Yeah, and and that's how you know it's because we are Pure Life Ministries, we deal with that issue with men a lot. It's like, okay, honey, I've repented. Now forgive me and act like nothing right. ever happened. And it's like, oh, yeah, I would like to hit that guy. <laughs> One more thing to be forgiven of. Yeah, yeah, men can be kind of insensitive and not, you know, because men and women are so so different. I can't emphasize that enough. One of the frustrating things for women is, and for men, we want men to understand us. And that's just asking too much because <laughs> men don't think like women. All the men said, amen. Amen. Yeah. And I, I'm getting it. You know, I'm, I'm 49 years old and I'm finally getting that, that they don't think like we do. And I definitely don't want to think like they do. <laughs> but men can be really callous. And even though they maybe really did truly repent, they need to not be so demanding of their wives. It takes time. And I'm not talking necessarily about forgiveness. I mean, a woman, I don't care what her temperament is and what a struggle it is. She has really got to fight for a yielded heart. That's all I'm saying is a yielded willingness to let the debt go, even even though you're fighting for it and all that. And it's hard for you, maybe you still have to fight for that. But men who demand it, you know, I always wonder, did you learn your lesson? Because you know, someone who's come into true repentance kind of gets the full package. And the full package, part of repentance is that you recognize the damage you've done to other people. A lot of people don't just bounce back. You know, it was easy for me to bounce with Steve. You're kind of bouncy. I am very bouncy. (laughs) But someone like my husband's temperament, if it would have been done to him, it would have been much more of a struggle Mm. for him. He would not have been as pliable, but he has to work at being a forgiving person. And I've gotten off on my subject. My subject was men giving their wives time to work through this issue and not be so demanding and act like nothing ever happened. That's the worst thing you can do to a woman who's been betrayed. It really is. It just kind of emphasizes the fact that you were oblivious the whole time and you're oblivious still. Hmm. And most of us men will continue to be oblivious (laughs) until the Lord does something dramatic in our hearts. (laughs) Forgiveness really is a divine thing, isn't it? It's very divine. And I've never met a person that has forgiven, truly forgiven, the right way that didn't do it through the power of the Lord. You know, and I include myself in that. It was not natural. It's not a natural thing. You may be naturally a nice person. You may naturally want to be a fence mender. That's different than forgiving a debt. That's different than forgiving sins and letting others go free. How important is it then, Kathy, to be able to walk in that divine forgiveness? to have an understanding of what we have been forgiven of. Well, that's the key, actually. If you're going to get free, you got to get at ground zero. And ground zero is you came to Calvary wretched, blind, poor, miserable, and naked. And you never got up from that position. You never grow up spiritually to the point where you don't need Jesus' blood and that forgiveness that came so freely when you recognize or understand how lost and how desperate the situation was. When it's real to you that you deserved death, you deserved hell, you deserved banishment, you really deserved that. That would have been right for God to do that to you. When that's real to you, it's much easier to forgive others. It's almost impossible to hold it against somebody when you realize what Jesus did for you. And, you know, it was so free, such free mercy. Amen. Kathy Gallagher, thank you so much. Thanks, Mike.
Whether you've been stuck in sexual sin or have been affected by its terrible consequences, I hope you've seen today that the message of the cross is the only real power for change in your life. And if you've seen lack of victory over sexual sin or you know you're holding on to bitterness and anger, seek the Lord. Ask him to reveal to you where the truth of this message is missing in your life. He's not only going to show you that, but in his mercy, he will give you the power and the grace to change. That's all for today's episode. We'll finish up our discussion on the message of the cross next week. We hope you'll join us then. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.